everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For Love podcast. Welcome to the show today. So right now, we are in a series called For the Love of Finding the Truth. Felt timely right now. Felt like just a lot of us are um, wanting to be more intentional and a little bit more careful about our intake and what we're hearing and what we're um what we're believing and what is truth and how do we find it in all of it. And um, I will tell you that I love today's conversation uh, because my next guest finds truth in a lot of ways. He finds it in, in real life. He finds it in pop culture and he finds it in humor and thank God for him because like, honestly, he just, he lights up my Twitter feed and my life in a way that nobody else does. I have been a fan for some time of our Eric Thomas. He's a senior staff writer at L.com, which is the home of his daily humor column called Eric Reads the News. And I mean, it makes me, I'm not joking. I say this without a hint of hyperbole. It makes me LOL. I mean, I just guffaw sometimes. I marvel at the level of his wit and his humor. Um, he writes about politics and pop culture and celebrity shade, plenty of it. Um, and in his own words, he's always here for anything related to brunch, Broadway, or Beyonce. Like, he really is one of our people. So you are going to want to go over to his column for sure. You will howl with laughter. He's just really good at humor and satire. He's got a really keen eye. Um, So he's paying attention to what's going on out there, to what is true. And then he offers his own take on it. And I'm not the only person who thinks this. There are some pretty heavy hitters who love Eric's column. Um, Lynn Wanmel, Miranda, uh, Mariah Carey, Maxine Waters, Titus Burgess, just to name a few. He is really well known because he's so good at what he does. And so if that wasn't enough, he's also an award-winning playwright. He's really an incredible creative. Um, And so we'll talk about this a little bit too, but he is, he's written a memoir that comes out in February called Here For It, which is, it's just going to be great because it's a balance of what his sort of observational brand of humor, but also truth telling and this real sincerity about him. And you'll see this over the course of our conversation. It's just got a real genuine spirit. And um, I I just think he is fantastic. And so I am happy to introduce you to him if you don't already know him and his writing for sure, which we will, of course, have all linked as always. So I'm pleased to share my conversation with the hilarious and insightful R. Eric Thomas. Okay. I am so delighted to welcome you to the show today. Eric Thomas, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This is fantastic. I'm excited. You're fantastic. And you're so funny and you're so fun. You are. <laughs> so I've I've talked about you before and I've told everybody to sign up for your newsletter if they have half a brain cell. And so I've told my listeners a little bit about who you are. Um, but I want to hear a little bit more about um, where you came from and what kind of kid you were because 
I just, I'm so curious how you grew into such a force of humor. Um, like, how, is this the kind of family you grew up in where you're surrounded by funny people? Like, did you ever see this path in front of you? Um, I, I sort of didn't. Um, you, it's funny. There was an episode of, uh, um, of your podcast a little while ago where you talked about how you were the oldest of four and yeah. like all of you think of yourselves as very funny. Yeah, um, I'm do. the oldest of three. So growing up, I would try and make jokes and people would, you know, just sort of stare at me blankly. Um, <laughs> and so like humor and like observation skills in general, I learned it from watching my mother and my younger brother, Stephen, um, primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think particularly like this skill set that I use for the column, you know, like sort of looking at the world. We went to a Black Baptist church. Yeah. When I was growing up, I did. There was like other kinds of church. I knew there was like there was like white church and black church, and we were in black church. Um, right. And you know, it's like the small conservative, um, you know, window air conditioning units and simple. Um, yeah. And I was very very <laughs> obedient. I was like a uh, I was like an obsessively good child. I was like okay. a narc. Um, and very proud of it. <laughs> and and. And so Stephen, my younger brother, would, uh, I, I guess, one, because he's a middle child and he had to be different. And two, because of the way he's built, he just sort of, he would sit there next to me in church and just sort of pick apart what was going on. Um, pick apart, you know, like the the people who were being hypocritical or ridiculous. Um, and I found that, well, first of all, I was like, well, you're going to hell. Um, and, <laughs> totally, Avi. <laughs> <laughs> and, but as I got older and I started to see some of the problems in our church, and as my mother oh, yeah. started to share some of the places where she, as a, as a woman, hadn't been allowed to, you know, have any sort of voice or autonomy, um, uh, and, uh, I started to see like, oh, there's a ability to critique, um, with humor here. Um, and so I, I really kind of internalized that. And as I grew into myself and became more honest with who myself about who I am, right. uh, I leaned back on on that same sort of uh, uh, humor. Yeah. And, and now I make money off of it while uh, they... Con- <laughs> <laughs> um, that's... I, I love that. Uh, I, got, I have similar background. Just... Um, learning from other people's humor and and even their observations and I didn't know until I was older um, that I was allowed to be a critical thinker. I, I was a lot like mm-hmm, you. I was mm-hmm. really square. I mean, really square by the book. And so, yeah, it wasn't until I was older that I even knew I could do that, that I could press hard on ideas or on structures or systems and ask questions that nobody else around me was asking. Um, and then when you add humor to it, now you have a career. Um, so obviously tons of amazing things have happened in the age of the internet. I mean, it's a great, you and I both have jobs because of it. So yay. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I would love for you to talk, tell my listeners about the Facebook post that kind of launched you into internet stardom. You said it was for the wrong reasons. Um, and then <laughs> essentially how you turned that internet fame into a job at L. Cause that's pretty impressive. It's like, it's really ridiculous, you know, like people, you know, will ask me to come speak at uh, like my old high school or um, to college classes. And I'm always like, honey, I'll do whatever you want. I'll speak at uh, anywhere. I'll speak at the post office if you want me to. But like, I don't have any good advice for you because mm-hmm. all of this started in a way that is really just magical. I wrote yeah. um, two years, no, three years ago, um, uh, there was a photo of Barack Obama 
um, uh, Enrique Peña Nieto of Mexico, <laughs> formerly president of Mexico, right. and Justin Trudeau, um, the um, uh, snack, uh, president, snack prime minister of um, Canada. Yeah. Um, and they're just walking down this red carpet, and they just look so good. This is back when Obama was still president, right. and uh, the birds were, you know, the birds sang and the sun shone. The sun came up. Yep. Right. And I, so what, I just saw it online, and I put it up on Facebook, and I wrote this like lengthy, um, like in, in like thirsty post about how good <laughs> they looked, and I compared them to uh, Tom Ford presents the Avengers and the yeah. all male cast of Sex in the City. It was just like. Wild, but it was what of I used course. to do just on Facebook to, for my friends, you know. Right, just kind of but it spinning went so a yarn. viral. Yep, exactly. Yeah, you you probably have experiences similar to this where you yeah. think I'm speaking to an audience I know, and then all right. of a sudden it's like, oh hi, we can hear you, right? Totally. The um, site director of Elder uh-huh. shout to me Facebook Messenger like, hey, do you want to do this every day? And I was like, this is not a job. Actually, right. I'm not sure if you're aware. Uh, right. She's like, yeah, we'll try it out. And so they just started commenting on the news, and it really quickly took off. And so it, it sort of was like the perfect moment uh, yes. for me, and the perfect moment for like pop culture. It's it's so great because your job feels like a little bit of a dream job to a lot of people, including myself. I mean, and so here's my question: I think of this about you all the time because I read your stuff every week. Um, Number one, I know that this is an amazing opportunity. It's so funny to be able to write funny things and get paid. I mean, that's just, that's an exceptional place to land. But I'm so Mm -hmm. curious, and this just might be your deep well of talent, and it is okay for you to say if that's just what it is. No, I'm just this naturally good. (laughs) How sometimes you are able to write that funny every single day. I mean, cause you, you, you churn it out. And for people who haven't read your work yet, and they will after this podcast, obviously, but you know, it's, it takes a little bit of heavy lifting. You've got to dig deep and it's, Funny is not easy. I, I no, it no. is not easy. Comedy is hard, and timing is hard, and language mm-hmm. is hard. And so, I'm just I don't even know how you're going to answer this question. But do you get writer's <laughs> block, and do you struggle on days that are just not funny? If I can get one joke, if I can yeah. just sort of like conceive of just one funny thing to say about it, um, and then I, I, I can sort of play a game of association. Yeah. with myself. Um, and if you look back at, at some of my columns, I think I can say this, like some of them are not really about what they're about. And I just talk about whatever I want to talk about. Um, and so that's kind of my like my little trick. Uh, yeah. um, but I think that's like the basis of comedy. Comedy is about sort of relating things yeah. to each other in ways that are surprising. And like, you know, I'm not like saving the world, but I do feel like, well, you are employed yeah. to find humor and even the darkest things. Right. Um, and so a lot of times I just ask myself, like, well, what what story am I telling? Um, mm. You know, child separations, I, I will never be able to find anything funny to write about that. And I don't think right. I should. But right. like, um, and so I've written about those uh, in uh, a serious way. Right. But when I, when I, I have to write about like the Trump administration, what I do more often than I'd like, um, I have to ask myself, well, what is the narrative that I want to be part of? And how do I frame this story in a way that is both true to my beliefs, but also um, true to my calling? The the oppressors do not get to define mm. the way I walk through the world, yes. hold my head up. Um, and I get to define that. And the way I define it is by searching for hope and, um, and, and searching for humor. 
and you do it and it does, you sort of lend your voice and your hope to your readers, which is a real relief. And I mean that sincerely. I just, there are so many days I'm kind of looking around like, am I taking crazy pills? You know, like, is does everybody else mm-hmm. notice that everything's burning down? Is, is it just me? And so being able to go to somebody's writing like yours, which tackles a lot of that head on, but you do it with such, with honestly, frankly, the humor it deserves. I mean, it, somebody deserves to make jokes about this because it's so crazy. And so I find a lot of relief in it. Like, okay, we're still here. We still know how to be funny. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We still know how to connect right. with each other. Um, nobody can steal that away from us. And you do that really well. I do wonder, I, I it seems like a lot of um, funny people are are grumpy right now because they feel like maybe they can't make jokes like they once did. So like jokes about anyone or anything um, mm-hmm. or the things that are now off limits that didn't used to be off limits. And so it's so it's such a tricky needle to thread um, as someone who's like a master at satire like you are. I'm curious what you think about this, because, you know, I like to be funny, too. And mm-hmm. I, I have I've stepped wrong. I've stepped wrong, too, mm-hmm. and realized, mm-hmm. oh, that's that you, you, I can't be funny in that way or, or this isn't funny or this didn't read funny. Um, and so I'm just curious if you think there's a point, um, when humor and satire go too far, like what's your line there? What are your rules on, on satirical writing? You, you watch old, I love Lucy episodes. You, right. you listen to like, who's on first and like, you know, it still works because humor is, like, set up in punchline. And the punchline is usually a surprise. And so, like, you can put, um, and, like, satire, you know, has been around since Jonathan Swift and, you know, probably before that. I don't really know. Um, And uh, and so, like, you can put the form in any place you want um, in any context. So the question I always ask when people talk about, like, well, why can't I, why can't I say this? Or, you know, like, why can't I use this accent in my act or whatever? Uh It's like, what context are you working in? Like, okay. if, if people say like, oh, people are so much more sensitive now, but that's not the case. The, the, right. the people are able to uh, have their concerns heard mm-hmm. now in ways that they haven't been heard before. Um, I'll tell you a quick little story. Like, um, I remember, uh, gosh, I think I was in sixth grade um, and I was hanging out after school with um, a bunch of friends. I went to a school that was pr- predominantly white. Um, and, uh, uh, we were just telling, you know, jokes, uh, outside on uh, the playground after school. And one of my, uh, friends said to me, um, well, she said to the group, she's like, oh, I've got a joke. And then she turned to me, she's like, it's a racial joke. Do you mind? Um, and I was like, uh, I guess not because, Uh you know, I didn't really understand how to like manifest my, my power at that point. Um, and so she told the joke and I still remember it word for word, Mm. which is so fascinating. Um, and, um, you know, it was basically a joke about the way black people talk. And, Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, and, and then like people laughed and we moved on and I never said anything. Um, I just saw her at the 20th reunion actually, and I Mm -hmm. still didn't say anything, but I'll, I'll never forget it. Um, but like the difference between that person then and this person now is that I, um, have I know now that I have the right to say, um, uh, if you know that you have to apologize to me in advance for saying this joke, then you know it's not right, and I know it's not right, and I don't have to be the one to please you. And people don't want to be pleased. And um, I think the surprise in jokes that go too far is not 
oh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm telling a good joke and some people are just too sensitive. The surprise right. is, can, can you believe that I'm using my privilege in this way and we're all here safe in our mm. privilege laughing in this way? That's um, good. You know, and that, and so that indi- that that implicates the audience sometimes. I, I certainly have laughed at things um, that uh, that I the, were in which the humor was more based in um, my feeling of of privilege over a certain group mm-hmm. than it was based in actual genuine humor before. I think we were all guilty of that. It's not a better laugh, um, you know. Like it's punching up is always going to be funnier and you know people people may disagree um you know people may like to punch down okay you know uh but you if then own it you know say you know what i want to punch down i want to make fun yeah. of some people and then yeah. you know go about your life yeah that's those are great guardrails mm-hmm. and I'm absolutely correct. And it's, it really is true. It's not a better laugh. Punching up is funnier. Mm-hmm. Um, and more, it, it's the right, it's kind of the right way to approach it. And you do that really well. You do it with precision. Um, you, you, you hit the right note when you do it, where it's just, it's the exact um, balance of this is funny, but it's also true. And that's terrible. Hey guys, so you may know lately, if you've been listening, I am learning intently right now how to turn off all the toxic words and ideas that we hear around nutrition and diet culture, like I'm on a mission right now. Uh, So I'm really looking for ways that we can nurture our bodies to be stronger and healthier. One of the coolest tools I found to do that is called Noom. So it's just not a diet plan. I'm not doing those anymore. So Noom essentially helps you learn to develop a new relationship kind of with food. And it's really, really handy. It's just an app on your phone. So um, with Noom, you, you work with a goals specialist. So this is a real life person who helps you get from where you are today to just achieve your healthiest self. And you can talk to people in the Noom community who are going through the same things that you are. So there's just, there's zero shaming. There's never any shaming. I don't know if this is helpful for you, but it was for me. Everything kind of starts slow and small. Start with just this many steps. It's just not even that many. And we'll just sort of up it on the daily. I feel so much better. And it's all little, it's small increments, small goals, small um, sort of advances. And none of it feels overwhelming. So Noom is giving my listeners a really special trial offer. So to sign up, you go to Noom. If, if you can't understand what I'm saying, it's N as in no, N-O-O-M as in mom, Noom.com slash for the love. Okay. So it's Noom.com slash for the love. And you get a really cool um, special trial offer. Honestly, you may find out how to change your relationship with food forever. Um, so noom.com slash for the love. And I hope that you will find this as helpful and encouraging as I have. All right, you guys back to our show. So right now we are all kind of starting to see some different faces. We're hearing some different voices across our screens. I'm curious mm-hmm. about your opinion here. Um, What or who do you think we should be talking about more um, across media, news, TV, movies, internet, all of it? What, what do you think, or who do you think maybe even needs more of our attention right now? Who should be listening to? Hmm. I, I have 
had my eyes and ears opened up um, by people who were talking a lot about ableism and like mm. our concept of what a body should do and what a body should look like. Um, and, um, and, you know, particularly people who are f- very funny about it. Um, mm. And so, you know, shows like Shrill, Lindy West's uh, new show, um, mm-hmm. and yep. like the writings of like Roxane Gay have really helped me to um, expand what I understand about like what I, what I assume to be um, quote unquote normal. Um, mm. I, I think there's always places that we can continue to learn about the ways that we make life uncomfortable for other people um, uh, and by uh, through our assumptions and through the things that we think um, uh, everyone should be able to do. And I think, you know, when we talk about like, you know, bodily ability and bodily autonomy, it ultimately it, as with anything else, it frees us all because sure. if, if we are saying, Hey, the world shouldn't built, shouldn't be built um, just for one type of body. Clothes shouldn't be made. Airplane mm. seats shouldn't be made to only um, accommodate a certain spectrum of people. Then all of a sudden we, we, our own bodies are freer to be whatever they are. Um, mm. Uh, there's a really great Netflix series um, uh, that just came out uh, called Special, um, yeah. uh, made by uh, a gay man who has uh, cere- uh, cerebral palsy, um, and it's about you know it's about a character who has cerebral palsy and he's trying to navigate the world um, as a gay white man. Um, and so, like seeing um, some parts of a journey that I totally identify with as a gay man myself, and some parts of a journey that like I don't necessarily identify with right. because I, I, I don't have cerebral palsy, but I do have a body, and I do. Uh, understand what it's like to sometimes feel at home in that body and sometimes feel like that body is at war with me or with the world. Um, uh, that was uh, that was particularly healing and eye-opening for me. Um, so I'm I'm very, very interested in people who are owning their bodies and talking about the ways mm. that we can own our bodies and make the world safe for everybody. That's good. That's great. That's on my horizon as well. So you're not just a humor writer, you're also a playwright, which is fun to kind of watch too. Um, that's this beautiful muscle that you also flex. And so as someone who's fluent in both worlds, do you think that there is more truth in fiction um, or nonfiction? And I wonder if you put things into fiction spaces that are too hard to write about uh, and then attach those ideas directly to Eric, the humor writer. Do you find like uh, this content, this material, these ideas, um, I'm going to put, I'm going to push them over here uh, where they can, they fit a little tight, a little bit more tidy. I, I wonder how you divide out your, your material. That's I, it's really, really interesting. Like I'm, I am writing sort of all the time. And so I don't have a whole lot of, time to uh, consciously do things up. Mm. Um, and I actually feel like I speak the truth more in nonfiction mm. than I do in fiction. Or I speak it at first in nonfiction. Sure, um, of course. And, and so, like, the kind of things that I'm going to, like, discuss in therapy or whatever, like, you know, like, what's going on in my, like, home life or whatever, that's not going in the column. But right. it's also not really going into to place. But my mm. questions about the world, my questions about, like, what, what, why bother? You know, why bother continuing to be alive? Like, those are sort of embedded in in the column first. Um, and I think with plays, I try to um, 
I, I actually really enjoy escaping a little bit in plays. And I like, mm. you know, I have questions that are sort of in the same vein, but um, are uh, have a lower threshold for, like, um, for truth. So, like, mm-hmm. they have to reflect, like, what it is to be a person. So playwriting allows me to sort of, like, work with characters who are a little, I, I hope, a little less mm. self-actualized than I am. Mm. Not to right. say that I'm self-actualized in any way my therapist is like will listen to this and be like girl no you're lying (laughs) (laughs) well like speaking of that i i i find one of the hardest places to mine truth is kind of in yourself in myself that's Mm -hmm. sort of doing that interior work is i'm not naturally super self-aware that's just not my bin mm-hmm. i'm very outwardly focused i'm always content focused and material focused and um, i'm thinking about the people around me but i don't i it's it's work for me it's labor to turn that mirror mm-hmm. inside and sort of figure out what's there dig through the rubble um and so you have a memoir coming up because you've been at you've been hard at work at this i i i'm guessing um, that you are writing this in your memoir here for it, um, which is going to, mm-hmm. when's it coming out? Uh, it's coming out February 11th of 2020. Yeah. Perfect. So I'm curious what, can you talk about it a little bit? Um, and what we're going to mm-hmm. be able to expect from it as readers. And then like even a little closer in, what has it been like to sort of re-examine your life as an adult? And did you uncover any truths about yourself um, over the course of the writing process that maybe you weren't expecting or maybe you weren't expecting to tell? Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, I wonder how that process worked for you and, and what you discovered. Well, it's interesting. I, I got started on this path uh, just telling stories um, live, like through like stand-up storytelling shows. Um, uh, and I, I host The Moth um, uh, live. Um, the Moth is a storytelling show, a podcast also. Um, and so I had been thinking for years about how to sort of contextualize who I was and how to put it into um, the, the frame of like rising action, like somebody wants something, they either get it or they don't and climax is somewhere. And so, um, after like, after my column kind of blew up, uh, my agent reached out to me and she's like, what do you got? What, what do you have inside of you? Um, and I, I said, I think I have, you, you know, uh, these, these stories that I can turn into essays, um, that are all kind of about the question of like, why bother to continue to, um, to hope, to live, mm. you know, in, in a world that is resistant to you. Yeah. Um, the only choice that I have as like a black queer person in America yeah. is um, to say I'm a part of marginalized groups, but I am not yeah. on the margin. I, mm. I am moving myself to the center of my own story. Oh, um, that's good. And, I like that. And so one of the things that was, was a challenge, I think a really healthy challenge for me was looking at the, those moments and deciding I will tell the truth about this moment, but I will use this as an opportunity to reframe this narrative for myself and make it funny. Um, and, you know, that not every story deserves that. But, like, you know, just like when I was talking about, like, writing about the news, I can I, I, I can say everything is bad and everything hurts. And that, that is true. It was such a beautiful and difficult experience to look back mm-hmm. at my life and, and to say, like, I'm the hero of my journey. Mm-hmm. And so, so, you know, some anonymous... Uh, person with an agenda is not writing my story right now. I'm writing my story right now. Um, so it was really powerful. Um, yeah. And, uh, it, you know, one of the things that was interesting, my editor um, 
uh, when we were going through uh, edits, she would always sort of mark places. She'd be like, this is very funny, but like, just, just tell the truth. Um, mm. in, instead of like wrapping it in jokes. Yeah. So like, it's as I as I go about to describe it to people, one of the things that is an interesting challenge is, you know, being honest about the fact that it's it is a, a book that is uh, humorous essays, um, but uh, without sort of like tap dancing and and, and setting off confetti cannons, um, you know. And I don't know. I don't know. Do you do you ever have you're you know you're very good at, at, at framing things um, comedically, but also mm-hmm. like telling the truth. Do you ever yeah. feel like you have to like it, you, you people only want the funny from you. Yeah, totally. Um, I and and sometimes finding that sweet spot is a challenge, and and it's helpful with the uh, the sharp eye of either an editor or a trusted reader to kind of be like, this is a bit too. This is this is a song and dance you're giving us, mm-hmm. um, in order to kind of to either either avoid what's really truthful in here or opposite or save us your your big feelings like we come Mm -hmm. to you for the funny and so yeah i find that i am regularly hard to um pin down i'm hard to categorize Mm -hmm. um and so i guess what that means is that i make nobody happy like the people that (laughs) the people that want me to just be funny all the time are like uh she's why is she talking about kids at the border again you know Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and then the people who come to me for that sort of activist leadership is like why is she such a jokester and so i It kind of in a similar way that you're talking about right now, I finally just had to plant my feet in my own life and say, I am who I am. And I'm, I'm in charge of that. I'm, I am driving my own ship and I don't, I don't have to make other people comfortable in order to exist. That's okay. Um, I can Mm -hmm. push against some of the labels that people want to put on me. And if they don't fit that day, they don't. And so, but I think that that just is also a part of getting a little bit older. And I've just found that Mm -hmm. the longer, just year after year, I've felt a little bit more um, in charge of my own story, kind of like you are too. The way that you're saying, I wonder, and this is a personal, but you are such a, a, just a quintessential intersectional person. You are black, you are gay. As you mentioned, you have a, you're a Christian man with a husband who is a white reverend. I mean, that's just a lot. Mm-hmm. Welcome to America. Yeah, um, yeah. That's, that is <laughs> just is a whole situation right there. And so I wonder like if you could talk about how long it took you to come to terms, um, not just with identifying with all those words, but embracing them, like absolutely mm-hmm. wholehearted, like proud and, um, and what that was like for you uh mm-hmm. and and how did you ultimately do that where you said i'm the hero of my own story yeah yeah no I, it's uh it has taken it has taken my entire life it has taken yeah. up to like this morning you know right. like I, you know right. and probably for years to come i i honestly thought when i was in my early 30s uh or late 20s early 30s i thought i had done it like i thought mm. i you know i was like i'm out i'm out to my family in the world and like I, I'm independent and I, I, uh, I make my own money. I listen to Destiny's Child. Like, I'm, you know, I'm good. I'm a survivor. Um, you know, when I met David, my husband, um, I, had, I had sort of been casually looking for um, a church to go to for a really long time because that was mm-hmm. a place in my life that I still felt a lot of need. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of churches are not LGBTQ affirming. Right. And I didn't want to go to, I didn't want to sit in the pew on a Sunday and be told I was going to hell one more minute. I'm going to pass on that yeah, one. Um, yeah, same. And uh, and so it's 
but and so we we met and you know i was like i didn't know how to like i was attracted to him and i was like i don't know how to flirt with the pastor and so like stupidly i was like yeah i'm really interested in like you know going to your church and so immediately you know he's got good boundaries he put me into the congregant category and so he like gave me his business card uh and i was like what am i supposed to do with this um <laughs> and like nothing came of it uh mm. and like a month later i was doing this solo show this like you know just storytelling show about my search for god and my search for a boyfriend um and uh you know because you, you just got to put out in the universe exactly what you want and uh and he came <laughs> and he came to see it and i was like okay well this is nice and i was like so taken by that gesture yeah. and we exchanged numbers and we like out and we had like a really great conversation where neither one of us knew it was a date or just like a business meeting, sure. um, which is my favorite kind of like romantic <laughs> encounter. Um, and so after we started dating, relationship with church sort of changed. He, he's, you know, pastor of an LGBTQ affirming church. Right. But then all of a sudden I was at my husband's job. And I think the question is, do the places that we are seeking where we are 100% at home do they exist or do we make them ourselves? And if we make them ourselves, does that, it, it does the work of making of the place that we need to find, does that work sort of negate the, the, the homeness of it? You know, mm. um, if I have to throw my own party, am mm. I throwing my own party? That's a good um, question. So mm. I have felt more um, at peace with the world and uh, mm. um, and with self um, as every year goes by. I, I'm sure when I'm 50, I'll be like, I don't care. I'm going to wear a caftan everywhere and go to brunch every day. That's, <laughs> like, well, <laughs> that's what I really want anyway. <laughs> right. Like at some point we're like, I, I honestly don't care. Hey, everybody. Hope you've been enjoying the show. All right. Now, you know that I love the convenience of having things delivered to my house. That's what I live for. And one of the things I look forward to the most is getting my green chef box. The recipes are quick and easy. That is real, which makes dinner time so much less of a hassle. So what's also great is that green chef is obviously a USDA certified organic company and it is so easy to tailor it to your family because meal plans include paleo, vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, keto, gluten-free, omnivore, like whatever you are, they have a plan for that, which is particularly awesome for me because I think I have one of every one of those eaters in my family of seven. Every single thing is handpicked and delivered right to your door. All the ingredients come pre-measured perfectly portioned and mostly prepped. I'm serious. Anybody can pull this off. And you may have just heard Green Chef is now owned by HelloFresh to offer even more variety of meal plans to choose from now. So Green Chef has something special for my listeners. So for a total of $75 off, so that's $25 off each of your first three boxes, you can go to greenchef.com dot us slash for the love 75 and try green chef today okay i'm gonna say that again that's green chef dot us slash for the love 75 for 75 dollars off your first three boxes awesome deal okay back to today's show This is the fun thing you've talked about before. You say that you're not um, athletic. 
but you joined a gay softball league. Yeah. So this is very delightful. Like, um, I want to know about that experience and mm-hmm. um, how that has been for you because I have a vision of it in my head and I don't want, I hope it's not altered at all by how you tell the story. And so has that been fun for you? Oh my gosh. Well, I'll tell you, you know, I, I also had a vision of it. Philadelphia had this, has this gay softball league and it's like corporately homosexual. Like you can only have two straight people. Um, uh, <laughs> oh, on seriously? Team. If you have any more. Yeah. Like they're like, like they're putting people on a list. They're like, no, no, only two straights. Right. That's the straight um, quota. We've met it. Right. And I was like, this sounds fabulous. And I just thought it'd be like a camp experience. Sure. Yeah, um, exactly. But I was also at this point, and this was oh, probably close to eight or nine years ago. Yeah. I was at this point where I was like, okay, I don't want to continue to pretend like the idea of masculinity, whatever it is, doesn't exist. And the and the questions I have around whether I'm masculine enough don't mm-hmm. affect me. Um, you know, I've always been somebody who strangers on the street will like yell gay slurs at. These people must have excellent gaydar. Um, right. And like, you know, one time I was like walking home from the gym in like sweatpants and like a T-shirt, like a ratty old T-shirt. Sure. And this guy like pulled up beside me at a stop sign mm. and like yelled, you know, slurs at me. Mm. And I was like, sir, this is extreme. Like you should win a prize for guessing that I'm gay. Um, <laughs> this is impressive. So I was like, if I join a sports league, I will be more masculine and so of course gay low pitch softball is exactly very (laughs) right and and like so i didn't know what i was doing i didn't know how to play the game i had to Mm. google what is softball sure um and they you know i get on the team and these guys are so serious about softball oh totally i I thought it was going to be and there are a lot of gay sports leagues out there um, and some of them are really just excuses to like drink um, or crop tops. Right. I thought that's what I was getting. Uh-huh. I was not. No, no. Um, nobody was making a league of their own jokes at sure. all. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so like, you know, I had no skill. They put me out in far right field. Of I was course. like the second right fielder, um, which is. You know, so I was like just, you know, doing small dance moves out there and like picking daisies <laughs> as one would expect. I was like, wait a minute, am I too gay for the gay softball league? Like, <laughs> oh, gosh. I just want to do like cartwheels and, and sure. dance around. Right. <laughs> and all of a sudden, all the, the weight I put into like, this is gay, that's gay, this is camp, that's yeah. camp. All the, 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 the ways that I was like making it feel both like as a protective arm for myself mm-hmm. and also as a weapon against myself. Mm, interesting. All that sort of broke open. It was just a skill that I was trying to get my body to, to learn how to do. Yeah. Um, and eventually like I, I, I did not learn how to do it. And I just sort of quit the team and started cheerleading on the sides, um, <laughs> which is much better skill for my body. Mm. But like, I realized like masculinity was just like a drag I was trying to put on. And mm. I was like, I, I, this is not, it's not me, you know? And it's, I, I am who I am as, as as the song says, you know? Oh my gosh. I love that story. Um, let me ask you this. You mentioned this earlier. It is not positively the most optimistic time in the world, but I love how you are saying that you have hope that is Mm -hmm. inspiring to me and encouraging to me. And so in this series that, um, you're on, we're talking about truth. And so I wonder what you think the relationship between truth and hope is like, how do we negotiate truth and what we're seeing every day, which is 
sometimes outright disastrous. I mean, truly, with the idea of hope. And so, how, how do we, how do we appropriately process truth, um, and while mm-hmm. still dreaming and working towards something better? Because I sometimes feel. Like there's a real compulsion to do to choose. Either it is mm-hmm. 100% like hair on fire, everything is burning, like there's nothing good happening in the world, it'll never happen again, or it's almost a, a, like a Pollyanna. I don't have to care about this. Tra la la. Nothing, nothing to see here. And so, I'm. How do you think we split the middle there um, in mm-hmm. a way that um, engages truth but protects our hope? Um, uh, I think anyone who tells you that everything is bad, um, is not telling you the truth. Um, because if, if everything is bad and you are bad and our world is bad, then one, what are you, what, what are we living for? You know, what are we fighting for? Um, why bother? Like you, there's, there's sometimes in the, in the Bible when God looked out of the world and it's like, Oh, let me find one redeeming thing, Mm. you know? And he's like, Oh, got it. All right, fine. Moving on. Um, it is always this mix of the darkness and the light. And I think yeah, that we are more, internet allows us to be more aware how much darkness there is. But there are people who have always been aware of darkness in other times, mm. people who survived the Holocaust. Right. Um, and then went on, you know, after they were freed from those places, um, were able to like, live full lives and have children. The idea of having children is a revolutionary act because it yeah. says that you believe that tomorrow might be at least okay, mm. if not better than today. Good. Yeah. Um, I think I'm trying to do better. Yeah. I'm trying to make tomorrow better than today. Right. Uh, I love that answer. I I could not agree more. I think we are powerful creators. And mm-hmm. we're not just reporters of what we see, but we're also creators of what could be. And and I believe that. I believe that words are powerful. Obviously, you do too. Mm-hmm. You've built a life around it. Um, that words are powerful and they can be healing and they can be funny, which is also healing in its own way. And, um, and we can sort of create a world that is still beautiful and lovely and kind-hearted and generous. And um, yeah, I would, I would have thrown in the towel a long time ago if I didn't believe that too. Um, and I don't know about you, but for me, um, real life is often useful. Like there's, Mm -hmm. there's the news cycle, which is one thing. And then I can like close my laptop down and then just look around at my, my life, the people that I live with and live by and live for. And I'm like, wait a minute, it's not all bad. I mean, look around. Yeah. There's people that we love and friends that love us. And so I, I also find this really important balance between um, being kind of plugged in to the new cycle on the outrage machine and absolutely pl- unplugged. Hey, everybody, Jen breaking in for just a second. I am, as you know, a huge advocate for counseling and feel like sometimes we just need a little guidance from a trusted source who can help us look at things objectively and find a way forward. So BetterHelp Counseling, it's an online resource that offers licensed professional counselors and they're specialized in issues like depression and stress, anxiety, relationships, family conflicts, grief, honestly, you name it. 
so much more. Um, you can connect with a professional counselor in a safe, private, absolutely confidential online environment. Uh, you can even schedule secure video or phone sessions or chats or texts with your therapist. And so best of all, it is truly affordable, which hinders a lot of us from good counseling. And so for you guys, the listeners of the For the Love podcast, BetterHelp is giving you 10% off your first month with the discount code for the love. So if you're needing a little help getting to that good change in your life, go to betterhelp.com slash for the love. Okay. So one more time, betterhelp.com slash for the love using the code for the love. Okay. Back to our show. Um, okay. We're wrapping this up. These are just three quick questions kind of off the top of your head. We're asking everybody in the truth series. Um, mm-hmm. so here's the first one. Who's a, um, truth teller that you admire. It could be anyone from history or modern day, whatever. Uh, I love, uh, Tony Morrison says, I think that she has a great perspective mm-hmm. on America and on race, literally anything, anywhere she writes. I'm like, yep, that's the truest thing that's ever been said. You're right. You're right. She's a great truth. Teller. That's a good answer. Um, here, how about this? Who's one of the most insightful thinkers right now? Someone who speaks and you make sure that you are listening. I really love the way that Shonda Rhimes thinks. And maybe, Mm. you know, it's because, you know, and and she's, you know, she's a television writer and producer. And so maybe you, you know, one wouldn't put her in um, uh, the same company as as other sort of uh, super hard thinkers. But I find that the way her perspective on herself and a life opens me up completely. I mean, Mm -hmm. she understands the language that we speak right now, which is a language of both pop culture and narrative. Um, And I really glom onto that. She's really, she's a force. I I would absolutely put her in the category of insightful thinkers. I sort of her thoughts and wisdom on leadership and business development and chasing down a dream is some of the greatest I've read. Like I, 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 I put her words like all around my office. I found them so helpful and intuitive and, and she's a great leader. Um, here's the last one. We actually ask everybody in uh, every series, this question, and it can be whatever you want it to be. This can, your answer is however you want it to feel. Um, Mm -hmm. what is saving your life right now? Parks and recreation. Oh my God. Uh, Yeah. It never gets old. Yeah, it the doesn't. optimism of the character of Leslie Nope is miraculous. <laughs> um, it's, it's it's such a funny series. It's so good-hearted, it is. and you know, like it's it's. It makes me happy when I'm. I can't find happiness. Uh, I think I'm probably on my third round through. And it, I don't yeah. ever get tired of it. I just, I'm, every time it's fun, every time it's funny, it's the greatest cast of characters. Um, that's a great answer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I, I think you are really great. Um, Eric, I do. And I am so happy that your writing has found such huge acclaim and that people are getting to experience you on such a wider platform. And, and you just have so much ahead too. It's exciting. You're writing books, you're writing more plays. It's just no end of it. So I'm just over in your corner, like cheering you on. I mean, I really am. It's Mm. funny because every time your newsletter lands in my inbox, I'm like, okay, I'm sitting at my laptop, I'm working or whatever that even means for somebody who works at home, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't, I don't have time. I don't have time right now. I'm going to keep it in my inbox. I'm going to, I'm going to come back to it later when I have some time. And inevitably 
I'm like, 20 minutes later, I've just read through every single word of it. All the articles. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. And it's so fun to get. And it's just like, it's nice to have a bright spot in the day. Can you just tell my listeners really quickly about um, where they can find you and all the stuff that you do? Sure. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at our Eric, and uh, you can find me on the front page of L dot com every day. That's perfect. Um, hey, thank you for coming on the show. I am so happy that you did, and I am such a happy reader of yours. I'm just a delighted fan, and so I it was it was really I was so thrilled when you said you'd come on. Um, thanks for your time. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. This was such a fulfilling conversation. I really appreciate your work. Well. I have always said that I have plans to use my podcast to um, make friends out of people I want to be friends with. I don't care. I'm not ashamed. And that's my goal and my um, prerogative. And Eric was one of them. So I don't even care. I I wanted to meet him and know him, and I'm so happy he came on the show. Um, I'm definitely going to link to all of his to his columns and his writing. And you guys, you're gonna you're gonna howl. Set aside a little bit of time um, to read his very hyperbolic style of writing that is so funny and so over the top. And he's just he's got a real gift for comedy. So. Um, and then we'll link to his book when it comes out in February. So lucky us. Hey, thanks for listening. You're going to want to come back for the rest of this series, which has just got some really great leaders for us, talking us through how to be um, just sort of reliable consumers of media and culture right now and news. And I think this matters. And I think uh, this is the sort of savvy we want to create and definitely pass on. So come back next week, you guys, more to come. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Um, on behalf of our team, Amanda and Laura and everyone else that puts this podcast into your ears every week, um, we so appreciate your faithful, loyal selves for listening week in and week out. Okay, guys, have a great one. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.